Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Ben, do you know what I think of this time of year? Uh, snow? I can't stop thinking about snow. It's snowing right now, actually. <laughs> it is snowing. As we record here at the end of January. But I can't stop thinking yeah, about yeah, April. <laughs> yeah? How nice that's going to be? How, how springtime? great it'll be to be outside mm-hmm. and not wish I was somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think this year, you know, I'm 46. Ben, I don't know how, you're in their 50s, I think. Uh, th- but this year... 70s. I'm in my 70s. You're in your 70s. I, this yeah, is the, I'm aging weirdly. <laughs> this is the first year where I'm like, you know what? I understand why people leave in November and come back in May Yeah, around here. Yeah, like, yeah, especially as you get older, it's sort of like, oh, this kind of sounds nice. Yeah, and I'm watching these Instagram reels of all these people uh, doing like cold plunges, you know, where oh, they, yeah, yeah. they try to shock their body into autophagy, not autophagy, but they try to... They try to stress their bodies in ways that won't hurt their bodies in order for their bodies to, but sort of biohacking into the body's mm-hmm. own natural healing chemistry, you know? Sure, sure, sure. And I watch these reels and I find myself giving myself a pep talk. Like, you I can, can do you this. You can do this. I could do this. Yeah. But I won't even get in the pool with my kids in the mm-hmm. summer if the water's a little chilly. Yeah. yeah you're, not, you're not cut out for cold plunges, it sounds like. Yeah. And I'm also you're cut out for. Going south for the winter. <laughs> yes. uh, only thing with snow in the title that I'm cut out for is being a snowbird. Snowbird, yeah, yeah. Oh, Which man, snowbirds, yeah. It's uh, in the title, but it's uh, it actually is. Uh, it's a bird that avoids the snow. moving away, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, anyway, that's uh, so what I'm thinking about this morning. I'm wearing a hat because I'm still warming up from uh, standing in my kids' uh, 
at the bus stop with my kids. It was cold. Yeah. yeah. Cold. Um, I, I find I'm, I'm a little bit more tolerant and maybe it's, uh, I grew up in Minnesota and it was just like, like you never, you never talked about the weather. You never really thought about the weather. It was just like a fact of life <laughs> that you've got winter for six months and you just deal with it. Yeah. So there's, there's a bit of sort of Norwegian, uh, grimness, I think that I have carried into my other places that I've lived. It's just like, it's no big deal. It's fine. It's just snow. <laughs> anyway, uh, stuff those feelings way, way down. Yeah. Well, it's probably so, right. The, the, the weather is no big deal. It's fine. I mean, you, you know, I'm sitting in my temperature controlled 67 degree house. So it's, yeah, you know, but, but I, I, I get you. I feel you. I, the cold does bother me more than it used to as I get older yeah, in my seventies. So maybe it's this, uh, this biological clock that's like on high alert for anything that would kill us. <laughs> right, right. This this might be the winter. You're so Stay fragile. Warm. Stay warm. Uh, what is a Matt, big deal, though? What is a big deal, Matt? I hear congratulations are in order for you. Yeah, yeah. I've been to the gym. I, I heard the book that you a, co. Oh, oh. Well, that too. But I was <laughs> I I was going to say that the book that you co-authored with a friend uh, called "Having the Mind of Christ: Eight Axioms to Cultivate a Robust Faith." Uh, won uh, IVP's Reader's Choice Awards in the category of spiritual formation. Yes, it did, Ben. I was going to congratulate you as well. Yeah, I had a book that won as well. I think it was the same book. (laughs) Way to go, man. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, Um, Yeah, we just wanted to mention it because, um, listeners, uh, I know a lot of you voted uh, for our book. Yeah, thank you. And a lot of you have read our book, and we really appreciate uh, all your support and your encouragement um, the book really wouldn't probably have happened without all of our listeners, all of our readers, people who subscribe to our newsletter, people who've been through our cohorts, all of that kind of stuff. It's, it's, uh, these ideas did not spring out of our brains, you know, uh, spontaneously. Yeah. Uh, they came out of, uh, conversations and, uh, discipleship and coaching and, uh, relationships over years. Yes. And so- Thank you. Yes, it's a, it's a it's a big deal. We're really glad, um, yeah, to have to have that honor. But um, wanted to share it with y'all. Yep. Yeah, we're we're excited. It's a Reader's Choice Award, so obviously it's your choices, readers and listeners. Yeah, that helped yeah. us uh, get here. So thank you. Yeah. And um, IVP is running a sale oh, yeah. on the book because of that. So might as well just mention that if you haven't read the book, um, you might want to pick it up. Uh, it is. I think it's like 30% off if you use the code RCA22. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. At IVP's website. You can also get it from us. And if you order Not 20 copies, you get 40% off. off. I just learned that. Yes. Yeah. I think anything over 10 copies, IVP will give you a pretty big discount. So yeah. get over there. It's a bigger <laughs> discount than we can give you on the book. So get over there. <laughs> um, real quick, before we get to our interview today with Bradley Jerzak, just wanted to mention that uh, coming up here in the first quarter, that's how they say it in the corporate world, the first quarter of 2023, uh, we have a, a little bit of different sort of podcasting schedule coming up. Uh, for the last few years, we've spent a lot of time interviewing guests, and we're going to continue to do that. But sprinkled in, we're going to do little series or a little one-off podcast episodes uh, with you, Ben, and I, and Christy, who's flying back mm-hmm. from speaking this weekend. Yeah, uh, she can't join us today. She can't join us today, but she was uh, doing a doing a retreat uh, this weekend on the East Coast. Um, we're going to do some podcasts with just the three of us, chatting about yeah. uh, different things that we're learning. Uh, Christy's got a few family ministry slash parenting things she wants to talk about. I've got some stuff mm-hmm. with 
and you and I uh, contributed to some articles that were written this past year on the Gravity site. And I know that a lot of our article readers don't listen to the podcast, and a lot of our podcast listeners don't read articles. And there's some things within these articles that we want to mine out, tease out, um, yeah. and interrogate a bit more. So we're going to do some episodes on mental health and the church. Mm-hmm. Um, on uh, And I know we've talked about it before, but why people are leaving churches, mm-hmm. uh, what the data says, what people are telling us, et cetera. So just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Be uh, watching for, listening for that. Yeah. Use all your listening, senses. Listening for it. Yeah, use all of your <laughs> faculties uh, to pay attention because yeah. those are coming up. Yep. Um, yeah, probably coming up real quick. So, yeah. And today's episode, we talked with Bradley Jerzak, who is, uh, I think he's one of the guys who's been on this podcast three times mm-hmm. now. So that is, uh, I don't know, there's some sort of award that he gets. It's just basically verbal acknowledgement, um, perhaps. So, mm. Nice job, Bradley. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we're talking about his new book, uh, which has to do with deconstruction, uh, kind of cultivating a faith out of the ashes of deconstruction. Anyway, he, he's uh, really good with the metaphors and uh, oh, yeah. talks very eloquently about what this looks like and, you know, t- converses with Plato and uh, Nietzsche, uh, Nietzsche, all kinds of like philosophers and, and theologians uh, to, to, illuminate this process. It's, yeah. uh, it's good. It's a good interview. Yeah. I always like talking to Bradley. Yeah. Yeah. It was very generous for this time. It was good to see him again and we should, we should get to it. Let's do it. Bradley Jerzyk joins us today on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. He's the Dean of Theology and Culture at St. Stephen's University in New Brunswick, Canada, and Editor-in-Chief of Clarion-Journal.com. He has authored or co-authored a number of books, including A More Christ-Like Way and A More Christ-Like God, both of which we chatted about previously here. But today we're chatting about his latest book, Out of the Embers, Faith After the Great Deconstruction. Brad, welcome back. How you been? Good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, We've chatted before, I think, here indirectly maybe about deconstruction because Mm -hmm. a lot of your books have uh, been maybe born out of the work you've done to refashion a more faithful expression of Christianity in the last five or 10 or even 15 years. But why, why a book focusing specifically on deconstruction right now? And what's significant for you about the phrase, the great deconstruction? Yeah, so maybe I'll start with the last question, and that is that the idea of deconstruction was reconstituted in the last just a bit over a decade in a way that is now popularized and that I would regard as a movement. So you've got the Great Reformation, the Great Awakening, you've got Hmm. movements like that. So by the time you're having tens of millions of people identifying as deconstructing even to the point of leaving the church, I think that that needs some attention. My particular focus is um, on those who who are uh, really feeling like they may lose their faith and is their faith after deconstruction. And so they've run into two kind of reactions that I find really unhelpful, or so they've told me. 
one reaction is, let's say, uh, what I call the hand-wringing pastors who just treat their questions and their doubts and their deconstruction as a kind of backsliding and that needs some kind of control. How are we going to herd them back into the church? How can we keep from losing them? And I, I'm like, that is so not the point. The other extreme, though, is that what I call the pop deconstructionists come along with their pom-poms and they're <laughs> they're just saying, yeah, burn it all down, empty the pews. And, you know, the thing we need to do is just get rid of um, religion, which ends up getting rid of faith and church, which ends up getting rid of Jesus and which gets rid of meaning in life. And like it can be quite a tumultuous kind of meltdown. So um, if you just come at that with, with as a cheerleader, um, that's also missing the point. So I, I want to address the folks who've experienced this, whether it's as liberation or trauma, whether it's a, a voluntary or involuntary, um, uh, whether it's meant staying in a church or or leaving a church, but to those who are feeling the bewilderment and the uh, the alienation of it, um, I think the first order of business is empathy, and then to say let's walk together and and not do a half baked job of this. Let's be thorough because um, this is the Christian tradition. You know, uh, deconstruction they used to call it apophatic theology. They used to call it negative theology, but all the way back to Moses, they called it melting the golden calf. You know, hmm. <laughs> Jesus called it new wineskins or water to wine. And so I'm thinking this is nothing to panic about, but if we're going to do something quite tumultuous, we should at least bring in some some voices so that we don't have uh, an illustration I use, so that we don't have plumbers trying to do mastectomies. <laughs> because people, my dear mom, who lost, she she had to have cancer removed from her breast and or it would have killed her. And that's how toxic Christianity can be. But you don't always know how much of yourself you're going to lose. So I got folks who are like, I've got rid of the cancer, but now it's like a radical mastectomy. And I don't know if I have meaning left. Well, then don't invite a plumber to this. Like, listen, this requires some, uh, and, and I'm not the expert, but I'm trying to draw in the experts in my book to address it in a way that is that cares for people's heart and their faith. Yeah. Yeah, and in the same way, don't ask a surgeon to clean your uh, to fix your toilet, right? Yeah, well, mm. you, you, that's exactly right. We need to we need to um, think about what's needed in a moment, you know. So we don't need hand wringing and we don't need pom poms. I've already used that idea, but yeah, like, yeah. okay, then. And it's amazing who might be able to help us, even those we've considered frenemies. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 Yeah, you do name this this anxiety that there seems to be, and we work with pastors, and we are pastors, and I'm in touch more so, uh, so with the ang- anxious hand wringing, and yep. maybe maybe even um, the policing, defending the church. And so I love this word about <clears throat> the first move is empathy, um, the first move of hey, I've your your institution hurt me, isn't to say uh, you're a wolf, <laughs> but it's to say. Tell me more about that. Is that that's what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, and that that deconstruction is often not just about like trauma or who wounded me or what kind of spiritual abuse I've gone through. Sometimes it's just growing in your faith and needing yes. to shed yes. ill-fitting clothes, or uh, even go further and to say um, it is God 
deconstructing God, right? Our constructs, our ideas, our notions of God can become idolatrous boxes. Mm -hmm. And that can happen right within a church. And so um, then the deconstruction folks can actually be do a great service inside the church if we don't treat them as a threat, but actually welcome them and say, what you are doing is the tradition. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's do it together in a in a way that uh, maximizes possibilities. But also sometimes it's just like severe loss, you know, trauma. Someone loses a, a child, yeah. that's gonna mess with your sense of the goodness of God. And and so that that too requires deconstruction work yeah brad i'm curious you know your first part of your book is written in this memoir conversation with church history and in scripture style first of all is that is that a thing did you did you (laughs) did you make that thing up i I, it's good if you made it up but um i'm curious like in this recount of of common experience that many of our listeners have they can't quit jesus but they also can't stay in their church or, or stay Christian in the same way. And so could you just talk a bit about how this creates a, a crisis and what was helpful for you in the midst of your own deconstruction? Sure. Um, so, yeah, what are the various crises that can happen? Well, in my messy memoir, um, I was one of those um, who – Let's say deconstruction is complex because every story is different. But even inside of mine, it was complex. So I had phase one was this wonderful theological deconstruction where I was able and given space to dismantle some notions of God that were that were not helpful, that were actually toxic. And the great thing about that was in my liberation, my church went with me. And some won't, right? So sometimes people... A pastor may get fired or someone may be kicked out of their church, treated as a heretic. I just didn't have to face that. And so that was really wonderfully liberating. And I feel lucky. And I use that word advisedly because <laughs> if I say blessed, it's like, well, then why didn't he bless the next guy? Yeah. But then I went into that tra- the traumatic version where we experienced tremendous series of tragedies in inside our congregation to the point where I was overwhelmed and and went through what some would call burnout. Um, I don't like using that word because it usually just means I'm bored or tired, but like my doctor called it that. And it was secondary kind of PTSD stuff. So many traumas. And that, that presented a huge problem for me. And again, uh, some people get abandoned at that point. They're just too much to deal with. And I didn't. And so what was super helpful was having a little group of people around me who were willing to walk with me um, that were a healing team that some were just intimate friends, but actually it really helps if you keep the a group small enough and uh, that you're not getting mixed messages. And so I had a mentor at the time, Ron Dart. I had a spiritual director at the time, uh, Stephen Imbach. I had a 12 step sponsor step in and help me out, Robin. And the three of them um, each brought something to the table, but that they were of one mind in terms of what's Brad going to need here in terms of a, of a process of, of, um, recovery actually. Mm. So I have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to this and I'm able to see those who don't. 
And I and and so I I want to maybe be a second hand encouragement as someone through my book who will walk with them, but then also direct them. It's like honestly, it's your questions are good. There's more people than you think. Find a spiritual director. Look for a silver haired mentor. Listen. Yeah, have non judgmental listeners uh, who can process with you. And and uh, so for my part, that was that was the best part. But I'm particularly worried for those who let's say they've gone through a uh, something traumatic in the church could even be spiritual abuse right but then they get uprooted and now they're outside the church and and they're outside of community and maybe their pa- their pastors rejected them their family has distanced from them and now they feel alienation that i really care about those folks and i can't be their therapist but i, I can give them some encouraging words yeah And now, a word from a sponsor. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life, so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying new practices. In the Gravity Formation Course, We go below the surface of our lives so that we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and to discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us towards holistic flourishing, more transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many people to have a sense of God at work in their lives, to learn how to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. All right, let's get back into our conversation. Speaking of those <clears throat> encouraging words, part two of your book um, uh, introduces us to seven sages or sleepers, uh, as you call them, that you interact with as conversation partners to kind of help guide and orient um, the reader through, you know, whatever kind of deconstruction they find themselves in. And so um, those, those seven, by the way, are Plato, Voltaire, Kierkegaard, Dostoevsky, Nietzsche, and Simone Weil. Um, and then as well as the apophatic tradition in church history, um, which isn't a person, but more of a movement. Um, I, I'm wondering if you could just, uh, you don't have to speak to every single one of these, obviously that's we want our listeners to go and buy the book. Um, but what, what do you hope um, people going through deconstruction are going to be able to glean from these prophetic voices, these sleepers? Yeah, that's a great question. And so, so what I was thinking through is, like, who are the experts on this? That if we were to, like I said, let's not do a half-baked job. Let's take this all the way down. Let's go right to the bedrock like I had to. And what shocked me uh, was when I got to bedrock, I, I found out there was a bedrock. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and um, there's this Russian proverb that says, uh, when you think you've bottomed out, you will hear a knock from below, <laughs> which is supposed <laughs> to be ominous. But what yeah. if the knock is Christ? Mm-hmm. And yeah. as far down as you can go into your Hades, you will find him there. Um, and so, so I'm, I trust then our capacity to take deconstruction to the nth degree. And if we don't find the cross at the end of it, um, 
you know, then we'll we'll find the abyss. But I my my uh, conviction is that Christ has entered that abyss. That's the orthodox mm-hmm. way. Yeah. So, um, in terms of some of these these authors, what um, you know, Plato, for example, he's writing for Socrates, and he had talked about the dark cave of delusion and the shadows of, of our imaginations, and coming out turning toward the light. He actually coins the term repentance, I think, but you know, it's turning towards the light of the goodness of God and, and what that process is like. And that this is very similar then to what we'll see later in the early church fathers, what we call the apophatic tradition or negative theology. And that is, um, let's just take our constructs of God and say, God is always, always more than that. If you ever reduce mm-hmm. God to your ideas of God, you've created yes. an idol. Yes. Those need to come down, like when Moses burns up the golden calf. Mm-hmm. Later then in history, I pick up some of these other guys who are tr- actually treated as enemies of Christianity, um, both Voltaire and Nietzsche. Right. And what they bring to the table is like a, a pretty harsh critique of, of Christendom. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think God wants to save us from, you know, like, so, so let's listen to them. What are they seeing that is so toxic? We better pay attention. They set us up for that and they show us how, um, how our systems in the Christian world can actually become part of the problem. And that needs to be deconstructed. Mm-hmm. But then I'm like, you think they're bad? <laughs> That's nothing. <laughs> Wait till you see Dostoevsky and Kierkegaard's response, and they're Christians. Yeah. So um, they're even that much more thorough. But what they begin to do also is they deconstruct deconstruction itself. And Voltaire was already doing this too, but especially like uh, Dostoevsky in his book, The Possessed. He just shows how, how even progressivism from the 1800s that thinks it's going to burn Christianity down and build this utopia becomes far worse. And you get Stalin and the gulags. Um, they're addressing something there where it's sort they, they see this coming. Nietzsche sees it coming. And it's sort of like um, the, the naivety of, of uh, some normally good thinking folks like Sam Harris, who's an atheist, I, I really appreciate him. Except then he comes up with this idea that somehow the world will be better when, once we get rid of faith. Has he not read the 20th century history? We've tried this experiment. It's called Mao. It's called Stalin. It's called Hitler. It's called, you know, you name it. So, but, but um, in that sense, then we want to deconstruct not only Christianity, but, but the deconstruction movement itself. And then in flies... Simone Vey, um, her niece says to pronounce it Vey, uh, like Vey, okay. V-A-Y. Um, I used to talk, say it like you did, but yeah. just following her niece's advice, um, Simone Vey comes in and she's as thorough as anybody in deconstruction. But what comes out of it is if you take it all the if you burn it all the way down to embers, um, out of this, here's a secular Jew who's into social justice and Trotsky kind of communism, and then she has an encounter with Christ. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it is it's it's inexplicable. Yeah. <laughs> and th- I was almost going to use the word inexplicable in my subtitle because this is not something you rationalize your way through. Um, 
um, somehow faith is a gift. It's a miracle. It's one that we participate in. But if you take um, sort of the course of these seven sleepers, I feel like, okay, we've done due diligence now. Yeah. We're we're not going to give platitudes here. And I got to say, there's some trigger warnings on some chapters, especially around the harm done to children. Um, but I warn the readers when those are coming so that they, they can skip those sections if they have sensitive hearts and, and need to. Well, but that for me, that's the test. Can your faith survive the if a toddler drowns in their grandparents' hot tub? A faith that doesn't face the horrors and reality of what of abuse that's happening in churches or in wars um, is too shallow. We, we've got to have some. So that's why I keep using this phrase all the way down. Yeah. Yeah. It strikes me that I think what, what books like yours and, and your book in particular is doing is giving, giving people the courage to, to, yeah, to explore this all the way down. Cause I see the, those two options as kind of two sides of the same coin where either I'm going to, I'm going to refuse to look at the thing that's causing me to question my faith, or I'm going to, I'm just going to double down on the, on the old explanations or the old constructs. But then it's, it's the, it's this, uh, the opposite side of the same coin to just say, well, forget everything then. Right. But neither one of them is really doing the harrowing work of, of digging all the way down and saying, well, what's going on here? And I think your, your book and, and specifically the fact that this has been going on for a long time, yeah. I think also it gives us courage to go, oh, this isn't new, you no. know, in that sense. And I don't have to invent this. I, like I can actually trust some people who've thought some of these kinds of th- thoughts before me and I can go on a journey of exploring, you know, where, how Christ may be present in some of my darkest moments. Yeah. One of the things I do with that too, then is I bring in the voices of real people that I'm in interaction with, including those who are now bereft and in psych wards, you know, and who said, who said, um, you know, now what? And that now they've been harrowed. And so in the book, there's a few of them who've come through it. And there's a few of them where the bow is not tied off nicely. Um, but we dare not bypass that. And uh, they tried atheism and they tried what they thought was Christianity. And now they're like, now what? Now what? And I think there is a faith after that and they're finding it. But it has to be, it involves a living connection to a, a real person who, who is not just universe, but the one who bears my wounds in his hands. Not only the wounds I've experienced, but the ones I've inflicted. Mm-hmm. That's the only God I can trust anymore. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so this, two, two important things maybe for recapitulation purposes Bradley, and then I want to move into part three. The first is uh, deconstruction um, is something, I think in the book even you state, it's like necessary or crucial or ordinary or normal, vital, like all, like, I don't know, there's one word for all that. Maybe in French they have a word like that, but uh, I'm struggling. Yeah, yeah, right? It's, 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 it's part of it. Yeah, I talked about the necessity, the perils, and the possibilities, right? But yes. absolutely necessary, you can't grow without shedding 
clothes that get too small. It's just absolutely necessary. It's necessary in that you need to reconstruct your ideas about God once you face death for the first time. Yes. Um, we need to, we need to uh, deconstruct the notions of God that have been co-opted by modernity, by militarism, by uh, nationalism, by, you know, all of this stuff right now, all of the reasons why people are leaving the church. It's like, okay, then what, what is it? Where did we go sideways? What do we need to do? Yeah. And uh, maybe they needed to leave the church until we get that right. You know, depends on the church. Sure. Yeah. So the first thing is sort of sort of normalizing or setting this inside of both the scriptures witness and church history. The second is then um, if you're if you're going to go, go all the way. Yeah. Right. Don't dabble in this, but really do it. Right. You you want a John six moment. You don't want yeah. you don't want something before that. And yeah. Right, and so then you yep. really recruit voices that give the most robust uh, deconstruction, and and then allow, for, uh, like bring the lead, bring the reader, holding their hand almost. I mean the, you know, when you're talking about Voltaire and Nietzsche, it could get really heady and really academic, but there's a tender pastoral spirit in this Bradley that um, is hard to do when you're quoting Nietzsche. You know what I'm saying? Um, just as hard, but you hold the hand and you say, but still here, you can touch this, touch Christ here, right? Yeah. This yeah. doesn't take away Christ. This takes away that which keeps us from Christ. Um, it, so that, I don't know if that's a, you feel like that's a fair or faithful summary of part two. Yeah, that's exactly right. If, if they can, if they can, um, torch everything that is a hindrance to the true knowing of the living God. Then they're helping us, yeah. and yeah. I think I think they have. Yeah, yeah. So then, part three then is really where you get into what comes out of the embers, right? What does faith yeah. look like after, or re- even in the in the midst of deconstruction? Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, we're, I'm still facing even as I deconstruct, um, and so it's a it's a constant negotiation for me, at least, of of recon- reconfiguring. And also allowing these questions, but can you pick one or two aspects that you touch on in this third part and give us an idea of the goodness and beauty that you see on the other side? Okay, I'll do three quick ones. So first of all, one, I look at three of the great female martyrs in church history, and I ask myself, why were they willing? What what did they have that's worth dying for? Because I'm seeing people walk away from the faith just because they see a cheeky meme and they ha- and they didn't get their own way with some person in their church. Oh, like I'm out of here. It's like well, that's a, these people are of a different order. Mm. If they're willing to, they w- won't walk away even in the face of torture. Um, and that's a really tender chapter for me. I love these women. Um, second. Um, I feel like there's been a a lot of folks who've walked away from Christianity, especially in in, um, uh, white evangelicalism in America as it became more politicized. And so Jesus asked the question, will, when I return, will there be faith left in the earth? (laughs) And I suggest that we look at the black voice in America, um, Howard Thurman and, and Cohn and Felicia Morrell and some of these folks. Uh, Lisa Sharon Harper said to me, if you leave the church because of 
because of the, um, let's say, white supremacy, without investigating the black church, yeah, mm-hmm. then leaving is still an act of white supremacy. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and then the third thing I'll say is I got a lot of mileage from my gra- godfather who who's who spends an hour with me on the phone every week. And I'm like, okay, but then what is this faith? And so he talks about how we can move from alienation back into what he calls presence in communion. Being present to one another in a way that um, the exchange of grace that happens is the kingdom of God. Mm. And that we don't have to grope around for a living connection. We have to recognize that we have one. And what are some of the practices that um, empower us to experience that living connection? Uh, Otherwise, you know, I just think so many who are leaving the faith haven't met Jesus yet. You know, like I'm a... I'm like, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm like, out of where? Well, I'm leaving church. Yeah, okay, but what about Jesus? Well, I, you know, and it turns out that so many folks, it's like Jesus was a doctrine or an idea or a system. And like, yeah, but what's the part where like when you met him? Oh, I, I, I guess I never did. I just heard this again two days ago, you know. I'm afraid of losing Jesus. I'm like, what is he, a thing that you can misplace? Or uh, this is a person who lives in you. And is not leaving. <laughs> and, and and they're like, I just, I guess I've only known him through third parties who've abused me. I'm like, okay, then yeah. tell me your story. What happened? And then we can walk from there. But um, I really feel like they, 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 that my next book is going to have to be more about this. How do we know him? How do we have a direct apprehension of, of the living God? that we can recognize and experience as like, I just, he's not someone I can walk away from. It's like, why? Because we we talked this morning. This is my best friend. This is my savior. This is my, and um, so I'm worried about the, the, you know, and I'm not speaking just as a charismaniac here. This is right. the mystical tradi- tradition. This is yes. knowing God. So, yeah. You know, listening to you talk, I I'm, can't help but think maybe because I'm a mom of six kids or because you showed a picture of your grandchild before. But for those of us who have gone through deconstruction um, and now are seeing some probably like beautiful things now coming hard, it was super hard. And I, I don't necessarily wish that on anyone, although I do believe it's necessary. I'm curious to hear from you. How is the process of us journeying to understanding Jesus in a deeper and more real way going to impact the next generation? Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, so I've got three kids um, who are adults now and um, they don't relate to Christianity uh, the way I do. Um, uh, but what we did try to nurture in them was this was this direct knowing of the one who loves them, and uh, that's worth that's worth passing on. I would love it if they were in a if they were in a faith community, um, and I can't make them go, <laughs> and they don't want to go to the kind of faith community that. Um, 
that doesn't look like Jesus to them. Um, now, their idea of what Jesus looks like might be a little bit different, but, you know, um, all three of my guys, if and, and, you know, when push comes to shove, they pray. They ask us to pray. They join us to pray in our in in whatever ways and the way we did that um when they were before they were five years old we established what we called a meeting place for all of them so in their hearts we asked god to show them a place where they could feel completely safe and where they could meet him to talk whenever they needed to and and they had this and so if they would come to us after a hard day of school or if they were angry at us about something or if they'd been injured in some way by life or if they had questions we couldn't respond to, we'd say, let's go to your meeting place. And they could close their eyes and they're there in 30 seconds. And then I would say, let's find Jesus there. What's he, what's he doing? What's he saying? Well, when my 29-year-old son went through a divorce and discovered he was not going to be seeing his daughter for a time. Gratefully, there's been lots of reconciliation there, but where did, what did, what do you do? And so I said, um, curl up beside me and we'll go to your meeting place. And there was Jesus waiting for him. Well, I've discovered that I can facilitate that kind of meeting place with someone who doesn't identify as Christian at all. If they're willing to go, I've taken uh, uh, a Muslim person to a meeting place, atheist person to a meeting place. It's so weird. And some of them may not want to go there again. And I think, well, the benefit of this is if you abide there. But they, I think we can facilitate um, direct access. If anyone wants to see a little bit more about how I do that, I think I've got a couple page document online where you could just look up Jursak and facilitate encounter or meeting place. And it's just five or six questions that bring you into, into that face-to-face communion. Because if God is love, love self-discloses. It communicates. It's, uh, and um, I don't think we have to fast and pray and twist God's arm for 40 days to get a word out of him. He's mm. with us and loves us dearly. So um, I wouldn't have those conversations as if he's not in the room. I'm like, I'm having them as if he's waiting in their own heart to meet them. We'll be right back. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, you you mentioned, Bradley, that you want your next book to be about how do we cultivate this presence, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna put that document or those links in the show notes because I know there's people here who didn't have a parent that taught them how to have a meeting place, and so they don't yeah. really know how to teach their kids to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but make sure that's in your next book. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be in my next book. In fact, Correct. the document you'll show them will probably I'm going to copy and paste it into the next book. <laughs> that's great. <clears throat> that's great. Um, well, that's as good. we're as we're winding down here, um, uh, maybe can we just get granular for a second? You mentioned white supremacy and maybe like a nationalism. Um, I know you're Orthodox, and uh, the Orthodox Church has been in the news lately in this war in Ukraine. And I know that you are not um, you are not a nationalistic person. Meaning, I've I've read your stuff enough to know that you you think Christian nationalism is probably uh, close to heresy. Um, it's fully heresy. Okay, yeah. it's fully heresy. Let yeah. the record reflect. But, Bradley, No, I'm, also- I'm, I'm sorry. It's demonic, and it's mm. of the devil, and it's antichrist. Yeah, yeah, that's so, better. <clears throat> so, clear. Yeah. I feel this in me. I feel mm-hmm. this in me. And I, I talk to people all the time who feel like, I can't stay in this white Christian space because I'm complicit I'm, or I'm somehow participating. I'm wrapped up in this tradition that is being used in this nationalistic way, and I have no credibility. I don't even want to use the word Christian anymore because people think of, you know, uh, somebody storming the castle, right? Or they think of Nazis. And I, yeah. And yep. so, but you have planted yourself in a tradition that has as many nationalistic problems as uh, white evangelicals and maybe more. <laughs> How do you? navigate that personally. What does it look like for you to be faithful, prophetic, not burn it all down, to, to stay in a tradition that uh, is, has some compromising when it comes to Christianity and the state? How do, you, how do you navigate that? Yeah, that's a great question. You almost answered it, too. It's like you, you, you suggested that uh, what's required is to be faithful and to be prophetic. And so... Um, just to tell you, I got I got into the Orthodox Church first of all because of the <clears throat> of how they steward the early Christian um, dogmas that God is love plus nothing, and that there is no retribution in the nature of God, and that when I go to the Divine Liturgy where we it's a two hour service, we hear the word mercy or merciful a hundred and fifty four times. And, and so, so there was the theology of, of, of mercy and non-retribution whereby at least a stream of the early church fathers that we venerate now just said, you know, this idea of penal substitution or eternal conscious torment, that is, that does not represent um, the best of the tradition, even when it's a minority report, but We've always been a minority report. The prophets were a minority <laughs> report in the scriptures, right? So, mm-hmm. second, um, I got so there was this theology of mercy that was liberating to me. 
Second, I, you know, I was so fried in 2008. I was so fragile that I, I couldn't pray. And I needed the prayers of the people mm-hmm. and the order. Uh, there was a kind of chaos inside of me that this isn't for everyone. But for me, I needed, I needed that liturgical predictability mm-hmm. yeah. that was infused with beauty and 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 was sensual in the sense of all five senses and so that's why I got in in the first place but also a dear spiritual mentor archbishop Lazar Pahalo he's yeah. my spiritual father a lovely man um and and so um it's it's that local relationship and that ancient faith that really has me got me in there now this stuff happens and and um what do we make of it well um i know that i i um i have every reason to leave <laughs> and and yet uh you know so i i contacted i contacted archbishop lazar and i said we what are we going to say about this because what Patriarch Kirill of Moscow is doing is is antichrist. I'm in this sense. I'm still an Anabaptist, <laughs> and getting in bed with the state the way he has and supporting the genocide and torture of people is ungodly. So, what Lazar, Lazar wrote me this, and I'm allowed to quote him: "Heretical Patriarch of Moscow continues with his messianic delusions and continues to support mass murder of Ukrainian civilians and the genocide of Ukrainian people, the unspeakable war crimes of dictator Putin. This is the true face of theocracy, a church with th- which thought to manipulate the state but was enslaved by the state in a manner that even the Soviet Union could not accomplish. Russia has been invaded by no one but is committing literal genocide on a peaceful democratic nation. Theocracy is not ruled by God but by madmen, deluded dictators, presuming to speak for God. The Moscow Patriarch has taken his place with the leaders of the Taliban and the savage dictators of Iran to the humiliating shame of Orthodox Christianity. So (laughs) talk about granular. Mm. So, so this he's is really going. It, it, he's really going for a centrist <clears throat> position there. It like. <laughs> there's good people this on is, both sides. <laughs> so this is what it is to. This is like. Does Jeremiah leave Judaism? Yeah. Right. Right. It's like I can't leave orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is Christianity. In the, like from Lazar's point of view, to be orthodox is to follow Jesus, and whatever those guys are doing, regardless of the label or the structure they're doing it in. They have left the faith. Mm. And it's easier to, it, it may be easier to condemn that from the outside as a lever, but there's no moral, there's, there's uh, what do you call it? Like there's no moral leverage to do it. That's just throwing stones. But from the inside, mm-hmm. not everyone's called to stay inside and say what he's saying. Some should mm. flee. Hmm. And that's why we all need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to let us know, like, no, I am calling you to stay and take a stand against this like Jeremiah did with, and, and like Elijah did and like Jesus did. Yeah. But um, there's others who's like, it would be toxic for them to stay and they should rush out. Yeah. yeah. 
that that's as that's also true let's say now closer to home you know on the american scene it's like i know a lot of evangelicals who say i've evangelicalism was always about the good news of jesus for me mm-hmm. i didn't i didn't move my church did they mm-hmm. became something else yeah. and at some point some of them are like i got to go i got to yeah. go where it's reduced to, let's say, a politi- politicized party yeah. with the presidential hopes and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, no, okay, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. So I don't know. Um, if I'm lucky that I have a local congregation that where I don't have to hear the garbage week after week after week. But if, you, yeah. if you're in one and you're experiencing soul damage, just you might want to ask Jesus when and where to go. Yeah. Granular. Bradley, that, what a great word. That's yeah. <laughs> Bradley, th- those words are really, um, really touching uh, for me. I'm thinking of people I know uh, who have left um, Christianity entirely for these kinds of reasons. And yep. I find myself listening to their story and not being able to do other than affirm what they yep. have done, you know, yep. to say, okay, this, this seems ironically, as you cease to believe in Jesus, it seems to be a move of obedience to Jesus. Yep. And I think there's a way that God may have of sorting all of that out in the end. Um, and so anyway, uh, yep. Yeah, thank you. I just wanted to, yeah. to uh, just to uh, publicly appreciate those remarks. Um, really helpful for me. I appreciate too, that you talk about the need for wisdom and discernment that not everybody should be Archbishop Lazar. And sometimes God's calling it. Faithfulness looks differently depending upon our power, our position, our options, etc. Yeah, that's true. So I appreciate that too. The book again is called Out of the Embers, Faith After the Great Deconstruction. Bradley Jerzak, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the time. It's good to see you all again. Yeah. Y'all, I really like Bradley Jerzak. I really like that guy. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I, um, one of the things that I, there's so many little rabbit trails I wanted to talk to him about. But one of the things I appreciate about him is he, he keeps, and you'll hear this if you go back through our archives, Bradley's been on twice before. Is that right? Yeah, at least two times. I think it's two. I think he, I think there were yeah, I looked it up. I think we talked okay. about a more Christ-like God in a more Christ-like way. I yeah, think yeah. well, every time he's on, um, one of the things I notice about him is he he has this way of coming back to, there's almost like this second naivete. You guys know about that concept where it's like when you first come to faith, like everything is wonderful, and then you kind of go through some deconstruction or you go through some hard times and your faith kind of matures and it gets a little bit you know, different from that. But then like, there's this beautiful thing that sometimes happens where people come out on the other side, sort of like believing the same things they believed at first, but like in this new way, that's, that's very, it's deepened and and widened. And I think he, he has a way of sharing about that in a, in a deeply compelling way with this, this, this simplicity of knowing Jesus, the direct access that each of us has to the risen and ascended presence of Christ that he keeps coming back to that's deeply comforting to me. And so I, I think even in his like final sharing about how 
like some people need to leave and some people should stay. And, um, but the, the deeply comforting thing is, but Jesus isn't going anywhere, no matter what you, what choice you make there, you know, you don't lose Jesus if you leave your church. Hmm. Um, I don't know. There's just something, I don't know, just beautifully sort of second naivete ish about that to me. Um, just the confidence he has that, Oh yeah. If you ask to meet with Jesus, he'll just meet with you. <laughs> He'll just do that. Like that's just something that's available to you. Um, I love that. It's really when helpful. He was talking about the what do you call it? Special spot? What do you call it? The meeting place. The meeting place. I think that was. I it. teared up. I teared oh, yeah. up. Wasn't that wasn't that gorgeous? Because I I, I want to be reminded of that, mm-hmm. and and that Jesus is active and present and yes, accessible and here and and I want to parent my kids in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I cheered up. It was really beautiful. Yeah, it was really good. Christy, I think, I think I speak for Ben and I both when I say, once you read this book he writes or this PDF that Ben's going to link in the show notes, uh-huh. and you teach your kids to do this, that you have to call it the special spot. <laughs> <laughs> Trademark, a Christy little, Penley, a 2023. Dot, a little dot on the kitchen floor. This <laughs> yeah. is my special spot. Special spot. <laughs> Uh, oh, you know, uh, yeah, I, there were so many things I wanted to ask him about because, uh, you know, I mentioned, I decided to blend on Christian nationalism as the last thing, but mm-hmm. there are other things. He, he referenced church hurt. Yeah. Uh, and Ben, you mentioned like people moving away from a church that's damaging or harmful mm-hmm. and how a movement away from harm can be a good thing, even if it means for all intents and purposes, it feels like you're leaving Jesus. Yeah. You know, because I, how do I... For, you know, and he's talking about this transitive relationship that a lot of us have with God that's through the preacher, right? right? Or through right. the worship leader or through my, yeah. um, through another person. And so to leave a church can feel like I'm leaving my faith, right? Um, yeah. But but then also, too, I wanted to ask about, you know, I, I've had two conversations this week with people who are uh, gay, LGBTQ persons who've, mm-hmm. who've, you know, walked away from the church. And I, I wanted to ask him about that, yeah. but there just wasn't time. There just wasn't time. Yep. Never enough time with that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's, he's, he's great. He's great. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask him about that we didn't have enough time for is if he had heard of these new air fresheners that you got, have you guys heard of this new air freshener that they created? No. <laughs> is it a, um, is it a mind controlled air freshener, Ben? It is. Have you heard this? You heard this uh, one? Yes, I have heard of these. So, so Christy, it's like this. This is this air freshener that they created that you can control with your mind. Uh, it makes sense when you think about it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, seriously. Uh, can I? How can did you say? Maybe we saw the same Instagram reel or something. I did see that Instagram reel. That's then. probably it. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. I've got, I've got, I've got one. Okay. Here we go. How does Lady Gaga like her steak? As a dress. Raw, 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 raw. raw. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dress. It's pretty good, too. <laughs> it's been a while since I got to sing the punchline, uh-huh. and I yeah. really miss that. So, yeah, yeah last time you got to, uh, last time you got to cluck it. <laughs> <laughs> 
This time we got to sing it, so you can grunt it next time. I should something. only tell jokes that are not just spoken. They have to right, be right. some form of like onomatopoeia or something. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. All right. All right, y'all. Well, nice to spend some time with you. Yeah, uh, I like seeing you today. Yeah, that's great. It's, we got to uh, see Chrissy's office today, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The audio wasn't quite up to par Sorry. for Christy today. Apologies, listener, but she's uh, you know she's she's got other things to do with yes. her life, and she's carving out time to make this podcast work. And so we appreciate whatever you can give us, Christy. Thanks. Yes, Christy. Thank you. Yeah, I'll right. fix it next time. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll figure it out. <laughs> all right, listener. Uh, all right, listener. See you next see time. Ya. Bye. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful, we'd love it if you tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles that we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our show is produced by Ben Sturkey and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sturkey edits and mixes the podcast. You can check out his work at aaronsturkey.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the Start Recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.